What's up, you crazy bastards? Welcome back to this week's episode of E-Crime Bites. This is where I research the court documentation and roast the criminal so you don't have to. So this week I'm bringing you season three, episode three. This is a hacking group called Shiny Hunters. And there's one individual that got caught and faced a, faced law enforcement. You're jumping in an act too, where I'm going to talk about this individual named Sebastian Ralt. And this act I'm calling the pokey. And I'll let you figure out why it's called the pokey. If you're from the U.S. and you know some prison slang, you can kind of put it together, right? So let me give you a little bit of a tour in case you don't want to go back and watch act one. I do recommend you go back and watch act one. And if you're on YouTube, I'm going to put a link up here like always. So you can go back and hit the playlist and see the whole episode from the beginning. So what I presented to you in act one was there is this hacking group. They're called shiny hunters. We know at least three individuals. They're all French. They're all men. They all, uh, well, the one of them is 20 years old and that sounded like the other two are pretty young as well. And what they would do is they would target technical people in, in well-known companies. So they would target IT people or system administrators and they would send phishing emails to them. And if you don't know what phishing is, this is a good reason why you need to go back and watch volume one or act one, because I gave you some graphs in there and I showed you exactly what a phishing exercise was. So what they would do is they would fish the victim, which would get them a username and password at this well-known web, this, you know, uh, whatever it was the victim was accessing, like for instance, github.com, they would get that username's username and password. So they would use it and then have access to whatever that user had access to. And since they were IT or system administrator, it was typically some kind of company resource that they then broke into using that method. So when they did that, they would do a number of things. They would sometimes deface it just to say, hey, we hacked this site. Other times they would steal personally identifiable information from their victims and then try to sell it to make money. Other times they would try to bribe the victim directly and try to make money. They made 425,000, I believe, off of it was either one or a series of ransom attempts. Um, so you can see here that they had a whole process to their organized crime ring that they had going on between the three of them. So government knows this. They did their investigation. And now you're jumping in on act two of this episode I'm going to bring you now, which is where the investigation started with an indictment on June 23rd of 2021. And the government says, we're going to charge you with nine counts. Okay. Count number one. It's conspiracy to commit computer fraud and abuse, which is probably the big one here, which is, hey, you broke into computers. The second one is conspiracy to commit wire fraud. So both of those are, hey, you did this as a group. These bad things are breaking into computers and this wire fraud. And then counts three through six are actual wire fraud. And counts seven through nine are aggravated identity theft. And you can imagine this is, these are the stolen logins that they got through phishing. So that's aggravated identity theft when you come down to the legal end of things. Now, this is beautiful because I was doing my usual research. And I got to tell you, you go through, I go through so many documents, hundreds of documents, and each document is well over 10 pages and you got to read it, figure out what's important in it. Rarely are they funny. 
So when I see something funny, I got to show you. Okay, so here, I got on your screen right now. This is a snippet out of one of the court documents. This is, you know, United States, ver the plaintiff versus the three gentlemen I told you about. But here, this was filed by the clerk, and the clerk's name was William M. McCool. So fucking Bill McCool got to, uh, got to file this indictment that I did it, did the research on. And I thought, oh my God, some people, I know Keith Jones, that's not a bad name, but Bill McCool, some people get all the luck, all the luck when they get named. It immediately made me think of McLovin, but McCool, I mean, this is a real person named McCool. It's awesome. So the government indicts them. And in the indictment, the government is also asking for $6 million in restitution. Now the $6 million isn't necessarily $6 million that they stole. It's a combination of things. It may be money that they stole, but it's also money that the victims had to shell out to cover or deal with the attacks that happened. So you can imagine, um, you know, company A gets broken into and they go, oh shit, we better hire some attorneys. We better hire a computer security group to come in here and help us out. So they've got expenses related to this attack. And those things are, those expenses are typically what are wrapped up into restitutions like this, like the $6 million figure that the government is looking for. Now a tidbit. I was doing the research in here and I thought, hey, you got three Frenchmen. They're breaking into American companies. I imagine France is like, oh, we will send our people to you. No worry. But they didn't. France will not extradite its own citizens. So even though France knew or had evidence from the United States that these individuals were breaking in, they didn't extradite them, but they did interview them. So there was a lot of information in the indictment and in the court paperwork that came from interviews of the other two individuals that are still in France that said, Hey, Sebastian did this and Sebastian did that. And I did this and he did that. That's how we know is because those conversations happened through law enforcement in France. It's just, they didn't get arrested. They didn't get shipped off to the United States. Sebastian. He was a different story because Sebastian in May of 2022 was in Morocco, which is a different country than France. And Morocco will send people back to the United States if the United States asks ni nicely enough. And I, apparently the United States asked nicely enough because Morocco was like, well, on a second, they grabbed Sebastian, they put him in a prison and they hung on to him. So now Sebastian's in a Moroccan prison. He fought extradition to the United States for eight months months. So imagine being in any prison, United States or otherwise for eight months fighting, being sent from Morocco to United States. Now in this time, apparently he smuggled a message out or wrote a message or something, but a letter came out from him and it was all in French. So I'm not going to read it to you, but there's this kind of translation that again would be very hard for me to read to you that I'm just going to give you some highlights that he talks about his very, very inhumane treatment while he was in a Moroccan prison. And he said it was so inhumane that he ate off of plates on the floor. And he also pooped into holes that were in the floor. And I thought, what a fucking odd game of prison cornhole is this? 
where you're pooping into to holes. Now, I don't do a lot of international travel, and I do hear that other countries have different shaped or maybe even missing toilets, and they just have a hole in the floor. From what I read in the court paperwork, this is kind of normal from, from Moroccan prisons, where that's how they use bathrooms, and I guess um, for eating, that's kind of normal in at least prison life there. That's what I read in the court documentation. If you want to look at the other side of that argument, but yeah, what an odd, odd game of prison cornhole. So there's some evidence and they have a bunch of evidence against Sebastian because when they arrest him, he has things on him like computers and cell phones and all the stuff you'd expect a hacker to have on him. So, there's other evidence when they did investigations that there are real victim websites involved here. Remember there's real victim companies involved and there were times when Sebastian would connect to the victim website and have test accounts on those victim websites because he's making these phishing websites look a lot like those victim websites. So he would need a normal account on there to make you know, to get, to get in there, to see what it looks like in order to make his phishing website look a lot like that. Cause he's, you know, doctoring this other thing up to look like this other compromised site because of this, he has these real accounts. They have his IP address and they have his username and his username is says, yo, KZN all one handle there or one word. And they would see him logging in prior to these phishing deployments. So that was one point of evidence that law enforcement had. They had his IP address logging into breached victim accounts. So once he would break in and get some sysadmins username and password to get into their GitHub or, you know, cloud account, he would connect and that would leave his IP address and they would see it in there as well. He was caught with these lists of credentials, usernames, passwords, other information of real people to connect to important systems like this. One of his co-conspirators, when they did the uh, like law enforcement interview in France, one of his co-conspirators said, hey, Sebastian actually tried to launder some money from us and uh, he got fucking ripped off. And they at least attributed $12,000 to one time when um, Sebastian gave, I guess it was like a website or another group money in cryptocurrency in order to get it laundered. So it looked like it was clean coming out the other side. And I guess his group just took the money and left. So his co-conspirator said, hey, Sebastian even, he lost money for our group. And parallel to all this, Sebastian is also caught selling some of the hacking tools that he wrote to others for two to $3,000 at a time. So he was making money every which way that he can. So there's this email that I thought was interesting. And this was highlighted in the court documents. You'll see why here in a second. I'm going to put it on your screen. He says, so this is Sebastian talking to somebody else on Telegram. And he says, I was selling this script or this hacking tool for 5,000 pounds 
I believe that's a pound sign. I apologize if I messed it up. I think that could be a different. Nope, that's. I don't think that's a pound sign. I don't know what sign that is, but it's 5,000 something. It says, I sold maybe a dozen. So meaning he sold maybe a dozen copies of his program. And he goes on and says, and then I focused on cashing out Bitcoin. I stopped selling stuff. So he stops with that message. A little while later, he says to his friend, and I leaked my stuff when I had too much money, meaning he sold so much shit and made so much money. He just didn't need, he didn't need any more. So he just took his hacker tools and put them online for free for anybody who wanted to use them. So another little exchange between him and his friends, this is where he was very clear. He wasn't hacking for anything other than money, really. Um, the exchange, and we only have one side of him saying all this. He says, I could say my goal is to be a millionaire before I turn 20, but it's all well and good to say that I don't have any references except for shiny hunter. Anyway, I want to hack and, and it says vulgar. So I'm going to just say, he probably says shit, or I guess if he's really, really a party wild man, maybe he said, fuck. So he says, anyway, I want to hack and shit. And then he ends it with, I'm going to resell databases to Indians on the dark net. And I went, hold up, hold up. Why are you picking on the Indians, man? What did they do to you? I don't know why particularly he wants to sell his hack data to the Indians, but he was very, very specific that he's going to resell his databases to the Indians on the dark net. Okay. So you can imagine he's arrested. He fought extradition. Finally, Morocco's like, we can't handle this fucker. He doesn't like pooping in holes anymore. You take him. United States finally has him. And then there's this whole, if you're not familiar with the United States legal process, it's very lengthy. So there's motions and they go back and forth and he's detained because he's not a United States citizen. So he has a lot of reason not to want to stay in the United States. He would want to flee. So he's detained. And in this time, he keeps going to the court and says, oh, my parents have come over from France. I'd really like to spend time with them when they're here and I'm in prison. They only let me see him for a few hours. It really sucks. Listen, listen, listen. I got a deal for you. How about you put a monitoring thing on my ankle and you let me hang out with my parents for five nights in a hotel. You can monitor me. I put it on my ankle. I will stay in the hotel. All I want to do is hang out with my parents. I really, really need my parents counseling. And I also need to prepare for my trial. And the government says, are you fucking kidding me? A Frenchman saying you want to let me out of prison and be with your parents, your parents for five nights. Fuck. No, there's no way you're going to be, you're going to be on the first flight to France. We you'll, you'll cut that ankle monitor and be gone. There's no way we will know what you take off. And the court looked at the arguments and said, um, yeah, yeah. We have a feeling you'll probably take off too. You're going to stay in prison. So, for a lot of the time he was in prison, this was the argument was about five days with his parents was just going back and forth. And it wasn't just one time. It was like, he asked for it once and then the court denied it. And he come back and he was like, I know you said I couldn't, but listen, listen, this is really, really important to me. Let's start this process all over again and read a bunch of big lengthy documents of why I need to spend time with my parents for five nights. And then the government had to you know, respond. And then finally the court came back and was like, 
fucker, I told you, I told you, you cannot spend any time with your parents outside of prison. Just have them come visit you and good luck on your trial. And that's how it ended. So then in September 27th of 2023, Sebastian was probably like, all right, I've had it. Fine. I'm guilty, but I'm not guilty of everything. This is pretty typical. He says, I'm guilty of only count two, which is conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which I'm not an attorney. I would suspect is probably lower uh, crime wise than the computer fraud. I think computer fraud is probably looked at as a bigger crime. And he also says, I'm guilty of count eight, which was the aggravated ID theft, which is um, one of the login username and passwords that he stole. In there, he also says, hey, listen, I know you talked to those fuckers over in France that you still haven't caught. I got some shit to say about them. They're they are not good people either. They, they, you haven't caught them. They have a lot of reason to lie. They, everything they said about me, that, that was a lie. And guess what? They're also, they're also part of this group and they did all this other shit. So he basically rolled on all them too, because he was in prison. And I think it was in his best interest to say, this wasn't all just me. Okay. So sentencing rolls around. And in this process, you have the government that will ask for X amount of years, and then the defense will ask for X amount of years, and then the court's got to decide. So the government comes in and they say, hey, we want 72 months in prison because this is this is a pretty big deal he did. And when he gets out, we want to make sure you're watching him for three years. Not only that, we want $5 million in restitution. So I don't know if they gave him a discount and knocked off a million because they said it was $6 million in damages earlier, but they're saying about $5 million at the end of the day. So that was what the government wanted. That was 72 months. The, the, the fence comes back and they said, Hey, uh, we'd like 25 months specifically 24 months and count eight and one month and count two, three years of supervised release. We agree with you government on that part. And then just page upon page upon page upon page of family letters saying what a great person Sebastian is. And apparently he had a really hard life. He had some family members that had health problems. I, you know, his mother, I think had a cancer diagnosis at one point. His father, I believe also had a cancer diagnosis. He had a brother that was shot in a terrorism um, incident in public. It just like most of this was his family talking about what a bad upbringing Sebastian came from. But what I wanted to read to you was what Sebastian had to say, because he had something to say to the judge and to the court. And I'm going to read you exactly how it was written verbatim. And I apologize if I stumble a little bit. Now this was written in French and then translated. So bear with me a little bit. It says, dear judge Lasnik, my name is Sebastian Rault. I was born the February 2nd, 2001 in France. I hope this letter may help you get a better understanding of myself. I grew up with my lovely family of two parents and two older brothers, both 31 and 33 years old Monday in Varges, Varges, I'm not sure, mountains in France, where I have also received public education from elementary school to high school. I am a computer enthusiast since I was a teenager. It came first by playing video games and then more when I started to learn computer programming from home with friends of mine over the internet. 
it quickly became a passion. So after I graduated high school in 2019, I decided to join Epitech, a computer science university. I was doing good so far until the COVID-19 pandemic. We had to stay home and I failed to keep up with school while being locked down. This was, I'm sorry, this is when happened my crime. Again, I'm reading this verbatim. He says, this is when happened my crime. I think I was trying to evade depression during these troubled times. So I was going into computer hacking, but I didn't realize at that time I was causing harm and how bad was the impact of my acts. I should have known better than to commit a crime and I should have used my skills to help and benefit society instead of hurting it. I really regret and I'm sorry, especially to the victims, company employees and customers. During my almost 20 months of incarceration, I had the time to think about the consequences of my crime, including the position I put my family at exposing them to the stress and anxiety, which is really bad, especially after all the traumas we already been through. To them, I must also apologize. The first eight months were inhumane conditions, whole, I think he meant while, I was waiting for extradition, but since I got the FDCC tag, I'm sorry, it says, but since I got in the FDCC tag, which is, I think, a Washington federal detention center, it says, I've been able to use my time to grow up, develop my mind and body in a healthy way to finally put my childish mistakes behind me and grow as a better person for the future. I realize that prison is the last place on earth I want to spend the rest of my life. So I shall no more commit crime again, or I may come back and dis disrespect my loved ones again. Time is the most precious thing we have, so I should use it better than getting in trouble and putting myself in prison, especially in these Christmas holidays when my family is going to miss me again. I think I understand my mistakes and their impact, and now that I accept the responsibility of it and had got the right conclusions, I'm already thinking about the future. I would like to restart a different college course in computer programming, and I really wish using my experience to help prevent similar crimes to happen to companies and if people, if I would have been given more the opportunity. Sorry, I'm reading this verbatim. I, th I think he's just saying he's just trying to, he would try to help society. He then goes on to say, I consider myself really lucky and I, that I have received a lot of support from my country and my family and that they're ready to help me get a new start in society. There are legitimate, there are legitimate ways out there to practice cybersecurity, such as bug programs, which are professional activities consisting of reporting computer security flaws to enterprises and be rewarded accordingly to the terms of the program submitted by those. He's meaning you find a bug, you tell a company about it, and they give you actual money for it. He goes on to say, it shall keep me away from getting into similar similar circumstances now that I know. What are the consequences if I keep doing cybersecurity in unlegitimate ways? It probably should be illegitimate. He goes on to say, I hope I've been able to help you in your judgment and understanding through this letter. Thank you for your consideration. Sincerely, sincerely, excuse me, sincerely yours, Sebastian Rowe. So judge goes back considers everything, comes back and says, I'm giving you 36 months, specifically 26 months on count two. And that's going to be 
consecutive with 24 months on count eight. Now, I don't usually see consecutive, so that's why I'm highlighting it here. Usually, it's concurrently. So for me, this is abnormal to the cases that I research. And it says, with credit four times served in Morocco pursuant to some U.S. law. And the court recommends that the recommended facility is on the East Coast, and the court gives them three years of supervised release. Now I'm showing you this on your screen. I know audio listeners, you can't see this, but I'm showing you this on your screen because the court fucking hand wrote this. They don't have typewriters or anything. Apparently, usually all this is typed. So it was really weird that somebody actually wrote in by hand the sentence here. This is pretty rare in my research. Here is the restitution. I will show you that because they break it down from the different providers and the different victims. And some of it is $1,000 for one victim. Another one is $3 million. So it really depends on which victim and which provider you are on what chunk of restitution that you get. But when they add it up, it ends up being just over $5 million. And they say, hey, Fucker, payment due immediately, immediately. You don't get a payment plan on this $5 million pay up front. And it says during this time, he has to pay at least a quarter of his gross monthly income to pay this off. His inmate gross monthly income. And I don't know what inmates make, but I can't imagine it's going to come close to paying off even $1,000 probably let alone $5 million at the end of the day. Now, when he's released, monthly installments have to amount of no less than 10% of his defendant's gross monthly income. So, yeah, he's ranging right in there with a church that he's going to have to pay in restitution. And when I say church, if you're not familiar with that, sometimes people will take 10% of their paycheck and just give it to their church. Here, he doesn't have a choice. He's going to give 10% of his check at a minimum and give it to the government. Now, I'm done with this case here, which, holy crap, right? I mean, there was a lot of hacking. There's $5 million involved. <sighs> My first question is, is $5 million in restitution. How does that work out? How does that work out when A, you're an ex-con, okay? So that is, that is one strike against you. You got to make $5 million somehow as an ex-con. B, you're not an American citizen. That's another strike against you. So that's going to be another reason it's going to be difficult for you to get a job to pay off this $5 million. Now, here's another logistical thing that I don't have an answer for that I'm curious about. If you know, please put it in the comments. Do they keep him in the U.S. until he pays his $5 million? I don't know how that works. Do they say, hey, you're supervised for three years, but hey, fucker, over those three years, you better pay that $5 million. We're going to be watching you, and you cannot leave the United States in that time. Maybe that's how it works. I don't know. But if you look at what the court says, he has to be in prison. So that'll end in three months, in three years. When he gets out, he has to be supervised for three years. So we know that happens. So I imagine that would happen in the United States. And then he has to pay back $5 million. So does he have to pay that back by the end of three years? Or does he get forced to stay in the United States after three years to pay back $5 million? I don't know. So 
that's one final thought of this case. My second final thought is you only can catch criminals that are in your own country or countries that will extradite you to the United States. We know this because France said, hey, fuck off United States when they asked for the two criminals of Chinese hunters, which surprised me. I did not. I thought Frenchmen, I thought they were a little, thought they were a little nicer. I figured after all the wars, they were probably like, oh, United States, here are the, uh, here are the bad guys that you want. But instead they were like, fuck off. You cannot have your bad guys. And you know, the, they stay at large in France now, but Morocco, they had Sebastian. So they sent him over to the United States. So from a victim standpoint, if your attacker is from a certain country like Russia or France or China, you're not going to get them in a prison in the United States unless they mess up and go to a country like Morocco and you happen to catch them like happened in this case. Now, I thought three years for all the hacking shit was kind of light, kind of light. And then they also allowed him to have time served in Morocco. And I don't know if it was kind of light because he was in a Moroccan prison and that was tougher than United States prison or what it was. They didn't explain a lot of times these court documents, they don't explain. They just tell you what it is. I mean, he had seven or in our, in our last case that I brought you, there was $7 million to the IRS. Okay. With the tax fraud in my last episode. People in there were looking at 10 years plus for a prison term. Here, he's looking at three years. So there seems to be a pretty big discrepancy. And I don't know if it's because he pled out to something that was really low and they couldn't give him a high sentence or I don't know what it is. But he did, you know, in the last case, they were getting a decade for a sentence where they were looking at $7 million known damage to the United States, to United States, which IRS and an attempted $45 million over four years got them that $10 million. So we're looking at $5 million in restitution here, got him three years. So yeah, that, that was my last final thought is it didn't really line up with the sentencing that we saw in the last case. And I don't, I don't know why it is. It may be because it was tax fraud related in our last case. So that's the end of the case. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you appreciate the depth that I researched this and brought it to you. If you did, the biggest thing you can help me with is not no money. I'm not asking for any type of money. Just thumbs up, like, or do a subscribe, follow, whatever it is on your platform to watch me, give me a positive affirmation that puts this video in front of new people that haven't seen it. And that helps me the most. And that's the only thing I think I'll ever ask of you. And I really appreciate it. And with that, that's the administrative thing I have to get out of the way next week. Next week is going to be a doozy. When I saw this come across my radar, and I'm going to put a teaser thumbnail on the screen for you now. I saw this case come across my radar. I thought it was a typo. It is cyber stalked by eBay. I was like, how the fuck does a, does a company cyber stock somebody, a company and then it's a company so well known that I think almost anybody, if you put the word eBay in front of them, will know who eBay is. That a company as large as eBay gets wrapped up into cyber stalking. And this case is fucking amazing. And I almost, I almost 
researched it early and put it in front of this case because it seemed so amazing, but there was so much research involved with it. I couldn't do it. I had to push it out one more episode. So next week, next week, you're going to hear about being cyber stalked about eBay and it's an unbelievable case. And I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks. Bye.